Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show. And our topic today is Inviting the Silence, a Doorway to the Power of Kindness. Meditation is a way to connect with this deep inner silence and nurture our connection to our source, which is also the source of all. Feeling this connection regularly through the practice of meditation can then blossom into acts of kindness to others. And we have the perfect person today to discuss this with. Our guest is Ganilla Norris, poet and author of many books, including 11 children's books, two books on poetry, and six books on spirituality. Ganilla Norris has been a psychotherapist in private practice for more than 40 years and has felt privileged accompanying many people on the journey to growth and healing. Her special love has been teaching meditation and leading contemplative workshops of many kinds. I'm pleased to welcome Ganilla Norris back to the Yoga Hour as a return guest. She and I had another conversation on September 21st, 2017, called Kindle the Fire Within, which can be found at the Yoga Hour archive at unityonlineradio.org slash the Yoga Hour. Ganilla Norris is also active on Facebook at Ganilla Norris. Welcome, Ganilla. I'm really delighted to have you back on the Yoga Hour today. Oh, thank you, Laurel. I'm so happy to be here with you, too. It's a good subject for all of us. <laughs> yes, indeed. So before we begin our dialogue about silence and kindness, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. So let's start by just bringing ourselves present, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, just taking a moment to really notice, notice our bodies in space, whether we're standing, sitting, walking, just feel our bodies in space and feel the surfaces that support us. And then let's turn our attention to the breath. Wonderful way to bring ourselves fully present is just to take a fully conscious breath, noticing as we inhale and exhale. 
Noticing the cool air coming in on the inhale and the warm air flowing out. As we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate, taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. To see clearly, journey within to the mountain of God. Discover your place of solitude, the higher consciousness where thoughts cannot intrude. When restless thoughts subside and you experience clear awareness, let your attention remain there. When you reach the summit of inner peace, stay a while. Luxuriate in the expansiveness of supreme consciousness. So once again, Ganella, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Thank you. So here we are in winter with the cold and shortened days. And to me, there's always a quality of, of drawing within. Trees, of course, lose their leaves, draw inside themselves. And you can see animals also coming inside, uh, some hibernating, of course seems to me to be a time that calls us within and to the silence within ourselves. So reflecting on this, I was drawn to your beautiful book, which is an older book of yours, series of prose poems about silence and meditation. I thought it'd be lovely to begin with a poem from the book. So would you read us Beginning Silence on, uh, on page 7? Within each of us, there is a silence, a silence as vast, as the universe. We are afraid of it, and we long for it. When we experience that silence, we remember who we are, creatures of the stars, created from the birth of galaxies, created from the cooling of this planet, created from dust and gas, created from the elements, created from time and space, created from silence. Silence is the source of all that exists, the unfathomable stillness where vibration began, the first oscillation, the first word from which life emerged. Silence is our deepest nature, our home, our common ground, our peace. Silence reveals, silence heals, silence is where God dwells. We yearn to be there. Mm. I just love that. That's so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so the book that uh, you just read from, Inviting Silence, is from 2004 and is one of the many books you have written about meditation and spirituality. And then your most recent book is uh, Great Love in Little Ways, Reflections on the Power of Kindness. So in preparing for this conversation, we realized that the two topics, silence and kindness, naturally fit together. In the teachings of yoga, the goal is to realize who and what we are as spiritual beings or self-realization. 
And then as we come to know our oneness with the divine and with each other, kindness just comes naturally, just happens. I thought that in the first half of the program, we can talk about inviting silence, which is more about meditation. And then that will lead very nicely into the second part, where we'll talk about kindness and your book, Great Love in Little Ways. So in the introduction to your book, Inviting Silence, you say that people come to you looking for meaning in their lives. So how do you see meditation practice as a way of finding that meaning? Well, simply sitting still for even a short time can be a really huge thing for some of us. Then learning to pay attention in that stillness to our breath, a meaningful word or image, help us to gather what's scattered and unanchored in us. With grace, even awareness of our bodies or awareness of our constant thinking can disappear and we'll find ourselves without our usual sense of an individual me whom we can describe, be proud of, scold and judge or sense running around in that hamster wheel of thought. (laughs) Yeah. We may then have moments in the grace of silence where we emerge instead with the great truth known by many names, as you put it in your website. Some call it the home of the soul. Mm. Meditation and spending time in silence are classical ways to move into deeper states of consciousness. Mm. Oh, that, that was just really, really lovely. So this silence and the reading that you, you, know, you did earlier, um, when we sit in meditation, you know, that's, I guess what we, what we hope for is to have that kind of experience that you just described, you know, that experience of oneness. So, you know, say a little bit more about that. Obviously, you know, we come to meditation, we want that. And then obviously sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Yes, that's true. And that's very frustrating for some people, Laurel, but The truth is we'll never be able to define God, so we can experience the holy in silence, for silence, it's just so vast and so varied, we'll never encompass it. Mm. But we can have experiences from time to time in that that touch us to the core. It's as if something lost is found there. Mm -hmm. And we can Mm -hmm. sense, feel, you know, not think, but sense, feel that we're part of a bigger whole that we are encompassed and unfolding, and that it's life's unfolding that is happening to us, not moi unfolding so much. Mm-hmm. And that's a bigger sense of participation, you know? Uh, it helps us not to be so incredibly self-assessing all the time. Yes, yes. So one of the things that Yogacharya always um, encourages um, when she speaks is regardless of whether it's a good meditation or not, it's the steady practice. It's that commitment to that call from within, you know, that inner call. And then, of course, the more that you follow that and the more that you have a regular practice of meditation, it kind of builds on itself, doesn't it? It does. And once it has it by, you know... Once you start it and it has a, you by the little hairs, you just are pulled along because something in our very being wants to develop and grow spiritually. And we can trust that even though the road is very bumpy often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a paradox. We, it's, we can be so 
scared of all this and at the same time want it so much. And truth is always a paradox, isn't it? I mean, we can't... Uh, we can't have both things true at once, but we can have them true at once at the same time, only when we have non-dual thinking. Mm. You know, we're humans, we have fears, doubts, wrong impulses, and we're also really spiritual, holy, and precious. We're each one needed. Mm. So it's a wholeness that the little ego can't get its mind around. And we have to trust something beyond black and white, wrong and right, and huge effort. We need to trust that the path is already laid down somewhere in our very structure as human beings. Mm-hmm. No, I love that, that the path is already laid down and that we can trust that. that that's really beautiful. So I love the quote from Meister Eckhart that opens your book. Nothing in all creation is so like God as silence. So I'm going to read that again. Nothing in all creation is so like God as silence. So what did what did this quote mean to you, and why did well, you, you know, uh, start the book that so way? Vast. God is so vast, you know, we can never define God. Silence is so vast, we can never understand all of it, because it holds everything. So what happens for a human being is that we can have tastes or small experiences of God as reality in the way we can perceive it, but all around that is a huge unknowing, and we use silence, the word silence or darkness or unknowing to describe that, which can't be known with the egoic mind, the mind that's, you know does this and that kind of thinking, this or this or that, because it's a dual mind. But when we're in that non-dual mind, we can mm, tolerate being in unknowing, which is where we are met by spiritual, by the spirit. And that takes a lot of practice, 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 and going through doubt and fear and restlessness and physical discomfort and everything you can name that's true of being a human being. But if we persist, something is established deep in there, which we use the symbol of silence as a way to encompass it while we're being encompassed, as I said before. And I think that what you just said explains a little bit of the fear, you know, so in the, um, the, it's the ego that we are so used to feeling that that's what we are, is our yeah, ego. And it needs a reassurance every single second. <laughs> right. So, and a it has work. a sense that the um, silence and all that is there is beyond it. And perhaps that's the source of that fear. That, Absolutely. It that you point to. I, I, love, I, I love that part of the poem that you read earlier. Within each of us, there is a silence, a silence that is as vast as the universe. We're afraid of it, and we long for it. Yeah, yeah we do. So. People come, you know, to somebody like me, a psychotherapist who has a 
spiritual orientation because they're yearning. Right. They, they're tired of uh, so much efforting that doesn't fill that depth that they mm-hmm. feel that is yearning. And so meditation is a terrific adjunct to psychotherapy mm. and to healing because we touch on other states of consciousness where growth and health and love and comfort reside. And the wholeness that you talked about, the healing, you know, for me yeah. in that in that place, that consciousness, that silence, there yeah, is this sense right. of wholeness that we can tap into no matter what has happened to us, no matter right. what we're, you know, we're going through there, that is always um, available. It is, it is. And people need that. Um, and it's very hard to have experiences of that all by yourself. So having groups of people meet for meditation helps a lot. Where mm-hmm. one person is flagging, another one is connecting, and and together we are lifted into more inner strength to hold those paradoxical opposites that were both holy and flawed. Mm-hmm. So in your book, you talk about making choices. And one of the core practices of Kriya Yoga is self-discipline, which is making choices by considering what best serves our soul. Yogacharya O'Brien's teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, summed up this teaching by saying, do what you know you should do. I loved his his, uh, way of putting it because it was so grounded and down to earth. Just do what you know you should do. On page 38 of your book, you say, our automatic selves act without choice. Our knowing selves are wise and selective. Would you say more about that? Yeah. um, When you spend more time in the practice, you will notice more often when you're off, it's an icky physical feeling. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not necessarily about food or exercise, it'll be a, I'm not... I'm not the me I want to be. It's an icky overall, like a jammed energetic feeling. And when we have those and we start to notice them, then it's a time to say, hey, we might be overworking, over-listening to the television, over-eating, over-exercising, and that leads to overwhelm, obviously. So... Paying attention to the icky feeling, it's a very good practice. And that, <laughs> that gives you a pause, and you can say, well, okay, what needs to be chosen here instead of what I do automatically because I've done it for 30 years? Right. You know, maybe, I can, uh, maybe I can start the day by being a little quiet and asking, what, what is my whole organism? What does my life need? And most of the time, it's what you're the, getting the excess out of it, mm. because we are a culture of excess. We know that. Yeah. I was I chuckled when you were talking about that, recognizing that icky feeling. I just thought that's such a great it's a, such a great term. It's a scientific term. <laughs> that that icky feeling. <laughs> no, don't you love it? <laughs> people know what icky is. <laughs> so. Yeah, but but people know. I mean, people know what that is, right? Yeah, that's right. So in the next segment, we're going to be talking about the practice of kindness. So 
how do you see these two relating? How does our practice of meditation support our practice of kindness? Well, we were just talking about how meditation helps us self-correct and uh, a lot. And those self-corrections make us more aware of ourselves as well as awareness of others. And uh, you know that in the old, old days before we were even conscious beings, we had this old brain, we call it the reptilian brain, that just watched out for what's wrong and survival at any cost and has a certain kind of viciousness to it because it's all about survival. It's not mm-hmm. about blossoming and growing. It's about just being able to exist. But in our, even then, there was, it's a kindness gene, because they found flowers, for instance, in burial grounds of very ancient people. So kindness is a new part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we're in, right now, in our country, we're in that old brain reptilian that survive at any cost place, and that it's important to realize that we have more options, and if we don't have the option of kindness, our species may not survive. So meditation brings us to awareness, and awareness brings us to knowing how we're all connected, and that we have to take care of each other in order to survive. Yes, absolutely. I guess going back to even the word yoga, yeah. which contrary to what it calls to mind in the United States is, a, you know, perhaps an image of a of a slim person in spandex <laughs> in a some kind of a <laughs> twisty pose <laughs> actually means oneness, union yeah. or unity. Yeah, it's so, being the whole, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that the practices of yoga are so far beyond what people just do on the yoga mat in a typical yoga class and really have to do with this broader meaning, this meaning of oneness or union or unity. Yeah, you're right. So we've talked about this inherent urge people have towards this silence. We've talked a little bit about the fear. So where do we begin? What what do you encourage people when they want to start a practice of meditation? They want to, you know, dive into that pool of uh, silence within. Um, what would you say? Well, first of all, don't be too ambitious. See if you can sit still for five minutes mm-hmm. and just listen to listening. See if you can sit for five minutes listening to listening and notice what happens to you. Usually, people who are really active feel like they're going to climb the walls in those five minutes. But others find that they take this deeper breath, that sort of a relaxation breath, and that they're off that hamster wheel for just a few minutes, and it's restorative. And so... I encourage all my psychotherapist clients to take up just spending some small time in silence to begin with. If they then find that this is good and something they want, the process itself will 
ask them to do more. Indeed, as we talked about, the practice of meditation makes further practice of meditation easier. Yes. And one one of the things that I've always found that supports that is having a space, having a place that you do that practice that you just outlined, that five minutes is a great place to start. If you don't have a practice, five minutes is, is great. Having perhaps something that is uplifting, perhaps lighting a candle, um, having a, a flower, having a, a photo of something or someone that is uplifting to you. These are all things that can be useful. And then that place calls us back to, to yes, it's as if, meditation. Uh, it's as if it becomes a magnet because you've, and it's the magnet of association. That's where I stop. That's where I reconnect. That's where my body and my soul catch up with each other. You mentioned this already, but what particular advice would you have for those who say that their minds are so busy that they just can't meditate? Well, you can't do what you can't do, you know. So for people who are very active like that in their thinking, I suggest that they go for a walk and walk with awareness or dance with presents or sing with pots and pans in their kitchens. In other words, do something active with focus and that may lead to more ability to be still in the future so we have to go our our natures are all very different some people actually meditate by walking you know Thich Nhat Hanh teaches walking meditation right Um, it's just to become sensitive to the little openings that you feel when you are, you know, athletes have this feeling when they're in the zone, you know? Yeah. So if you're a very uh, fast thinker, try to do something physical, and that may give you a little moment to be in the zone. Yes, particularly paying attention with our senses. So paying attention, as you said, with focus. And with that, we've come to the end of the first segment. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Ganilla Norris, psychotherapist, poet, and author of the books we're discussing today, Inviting Silence, Universal Principles of Meditation, and Great Love in Little Ways, 30 Reflections on the Power of Kindness. You can find out more about Ganilla Norris and her many lovely books at ganillanorris.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about how cultivating our connection to silence also helps us cultivate kindness. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. Living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. My guest today is psychotherapist, author, and poet, Ganilla Norris. And we've been talking about cultivating our relationship to silence through meditation. 
And now we're going to turn our attention to how cultivating kindness in our lives is a spiritual practice. So ahimsa, which is a Sanskrit word meaning harmlessness, nonviolence, or kindness, ahimsa, is a foundational practice of Kriya Yoga. Ahimsa was the foundation for the teachings of Gandhi and Martin Luther King. And I love the way that the Dalai Lama uh, describes his religion. He says, kindness is my religion. So turning our attention to kindness, Ganilla, what inspired you to write the, your most recent book, Great Love in Little Ways? Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has for years felt how negativity has been growing in the national mood, more shootings, more vitriolic language, more dumping, more uh, just plain negativity. And so I said, well, I can't just fight this. I'm just a little housewife, you know, sitting in Rhode (laughs) Island here. I can't fight this. But I can be for something. Because, you know, if we fight things, where it's, for me anyway, it's like being caught in a tar baby. You know, I don't like that. And there goes a hand into the tar baby and just stuck with the negativity. But if you're for something, there's more flow. Usually the universe comes in underneath those places which are really passionate from the heart and supports people who are for something. So that's what I said. Well, I, I need to write about kindness because that's something I can be for. And it's so needed now. And that's how it happened. Then the book took me, and I had to just be obedient to writing it. Oh, obedient, is... no, is deep listening. Ob, audience, deep listening. And that's meditation, too, that deep listening, which lets you see how your life needs to work, you know. So it pulled me into writing a book about kindness. Yes, that was such a, it's a beautiful description of being for something and then the universe rises to support that. That is just lovely. It's actually the subject of Yogacharya O'Brien's book, The Jewel of Abundance. So anyway, um, I love the quote from Henry James that you included in the book, Great Love in Little Ways. And he says, three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind, which is just great, right? We we almost need to hear it that way three times. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so kindness practices and your book, um, what do you hope that your book can trigger for people? I hope that they'll just take some time, first of all, to see how many, I quote a lot of people, how many people have thought about this subject and seen it as an essential human thing. And then to hopefully inspire the reader to find places where they can exercise kindness, not just to themselves, for themselves, which is essential, and to others and to the planet itself. Uh, It's, it's something we can be for, and we will not be wrong. It's never going to go out of style, kindness, you know. Right. Absolutely. So 
in the book, you talk about plain seeing, plain seeing, and that is an important kindness practice. So what do you mean by that? What is plain seeing? Well, I call it actually, in other language, I also call it baby gazing. You know how you look, how a baby can sit there in the pram and just look? Right. And they haven't started assessing, this is good, this is bad. They're just looking. It's kind of an innocent perceiving. So I think if you spend just a minute in front of the mirror in the bathroom and baby gaze at yourself and try not to be in evaluation of any kind, just just seeing. It won't say, I'm bad, I'm good, I'm wonderful, I'm ugly, I'm wrinkly, nothing of that. Just, I'm a soul and I see myself in the mirror. That, over time, helps us learn to see others like that. You know, I love what Bishop Tutu taught, uh, and it's an African aphorism. And, when it's, and he says, it says, I am because we are. But we need to look and see, I am. Because the moment you see, you know, that's the ancient Hebrew word for God, I am, that I am. So to be able to see your amness without layering it, then you're more able to see other people's amness. And I call that baby gazing. And it's a wonderful thing to do. You go sit in the park and start people watching instead of people watching, which is full of assessment, baby gaze. Put yourself in a big pram and just have the freedom to just see. It's a beautiful practice. And then how does that plain seeing or baby gazing, how does that help us with kindness practices? The, the simple fact that you're not assessing is kindness itself. Mm. You're allowing things to be as they are. That's kindness. That's presence. It's a huge practice, actually. But it's simply, you know, we don't like things to be so darn simple, you know, but that's really simple. Just be there and leave assessment behind. It's the kind of state you can be in. Mm. Then you'll know if something comes up that has to be done, you'll be ready to do it. But just that is a prayer. And it's a prayer that reaches out to whatever you're looking at if you're baby gazing. Yeah, that's that's just really beautiful. That that in itself, that witnessing, that non-judgmental awareness yeah. is itself a gift, a kindness. That's right. We just don't know how much value there is in, in, in just presence with each other. I was talking to a man in the swimming pool the other day, and he goes to see a vet who's 93 years old, who is full of complaint in every which way, but he knows this man is going to show up at 11 every Saturday. And that's an anchor for him. And the man just sits there with him. Mm. It's huge. It's a kind act because it doesn't, he's not forcing anything to happen. He's allowing the man to be a complaining old codger. So often often we um, will perhaps 
notice in ways in which we are kind or unkind to others, and yet we forget to notice that same thing about ourselves. It's not unusual for us to say and even do things to ourselves that we would never in a million years say or do to others. Often those negative messages come from uh, fr- come with us from childhood and yep. perhaps are the source of this lack of self-kindness. And you have a whole section on self-kindness in the book. So yeah, it's say a really... little, little bit more about self-kindness. Well, it's almost impossible to be kind to others unless we're kind to ourselves. The the scales will be so out of alignment if we're just kind to others. We, we'll blow up or do something compensatory. That's a mistake because we're out of balance. You see that a lot in caregivers, you know, give, 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 and then they just have to erupt. To, to be, to know that I am because we are, you are as much uh, a precious person as the other person you're caring for or helping. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you need to be loved too. And we don't do enough loving. I have lots of little practices I teach when I'm in you know workshops that are about these simple things of, say, putting your hand over your heart, very, very slowly approaching the hand of the heart, letting it warm that tissue right there, and then making tiny, small circles around the heart. Just saying, you know what? I have a heart. I am a heart. I'm heartful. I can receive heartfulness. And just that little minute can shift you from being a banshee in the kitchen when something goes wrong and being able to say, no, you know, I'm a soul. I'm a, a Wayne Dyer says, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, and I need to be that gentle with almost everything in my life because it's actually more effective than anything else. Yes, exactly. I am a spiritual being having a human experience, which is so often people put it the other way around. You know, I'm a human being perhaps having a spiritual experience and meditation, but sorry, go ahead. I said Wayne Dyer was famous for coining that phrase, you know? So So, one practice that you mentioned about self-kindness is the little exercise you just gave of, you know, putting our hand on our heart and just feeling that warmth and perhaps these positive messages that you included. So what are some other practices that you can suggest to bring us back to self-kindness? Well, um, I feel that, that planning the day is a really prayerful and um, important kindness practice. Never put in your day more than you can handle. Even if you have a huge project, chunk it down to something small so that you have a feeling of not having to be on every single second. You'll be more effective. You'll accomplish more. If you, I, My own rule with myself is no more than four things. I mean, besides getting up, brushing your teeth, making meals, you know, four things that I need to do for the day. No wow. more than four because then I start to run, and then I get cranky, and then I'll let fly. 
And so giving yourself time and planning the day is a big practice. Mm-hmm. So with that, so, you know, you know just gazing what... at yourself is one thing. Um, selecting more carefully how much you'll do in a day. And then taking frequent breath breaks. I learned this from my husband. He would finish something, he'd sit down, he'd breathe a little while. And just honor that a unit of meaning had been finished. He finished something. Um, and when we do that, over time, we'll discover we're actually breathtaking people. And I meant wow. that. <laughs> That's great. So uh, little mini breaks all through the day. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful, both meditation and kindness practice. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And, then, and uh, my uh, mind, when hugging. you said, you know, limit limit yourself or, or try and just do four things a day, my mind went to that part of my life when I had young children and I was working, oh, yeah. right. you know, pretty much full time and my yeah. husband was traveling <laughs> and, you know, my day was far fuller, you know, than four things. Yeah. But... I can totally see what you mean. And having those few moments of silence at the beginning of a day, and then perhaps a few moments planning your day, perhaps getting up a little bit earlier. So I would love to do that when I had young children to be up before they were to get myself yes. together just for yes, just exactly. for a little while. It didn't take long, but that could make all the difference in the way that the yeah. day went. Also, Laurel, Giving and receiving hugs is a very wonderful kindness practice. Yeah, yeah. So, Ganella, you mentioned this. There's so much going on in the world today that is negative, and we can really feel overwhelmed and become paralyzed because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We may feel that we what we have to offer isn't enough. We may feel um, kind of a sense of nihilism. It's like, why bother if there's so much wrong that I can't fix? So what do you say to someone who's overwhelmed like that? Well, first of all, I have to say something to myself, which is I can't fix this for him or her. Right. That putting a stop on needing to fix is a kindness practice. And... Big and capital letters, being present to that person while knowing I can't fix it is a compassion practice. It's a kindness practice. You can put your hand on their shoulder. You can just be present. And your beingness that doesn't add to their overwhelm can be just that little chink in the door, you know, that keeps the door open to letting more in for them. So if you can get them to talk about what's on their plate and put it down on a piece of paper, it's very helpful because getting it out of your head and onto something, onto a surface, helps you distance from the overwhelm and all that has to do. You can see, it's like a map, you can see where the pressure is. And then you just let them think about that. Is there anything you want to change about this? But you are not fixing. Right. Very important. Yes, especially for caregivers 
Well, anybody yeah. who, who wants to be a friend, I'm sure we've all been in that position. Yeah, we have many times. So one of the things that you write about in your book is the kindness of a tree. Oh, I love this. <laughs> so can you can you describe I, that I for our listeners? What is I the kindness a, of a tree? Well, I learned this from um, a uh, Oriental energy worker, and he said, "Put your back, namely your bark side, against the bark of a tree." Lean into the tree and then sense how the tree roots way down into the ground and holds its, holds its place at the same time that it rises and brings in all that light and helps you breathe, actually, because it's giving you oxygen. And let the tree clean your auric field. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a tamarack that's in the you know the little park that's about half a mile from here. And I go visit that tamarack as often as I can. I lean up against it, and I, I'm sure it knows me now. And every once in a while, I can feel it, you know, I'll lean, and I'll say, is it enough? Have I been here long? And sometimes the tree will give me a little nudge. It seems like a little energetic nudge. You've had enough, Ganila. Then you turn around, and you stand at the drip line, you know, where the, the um, arms of the tree, the, uh, the branches of the tree you stand at the trip line and face the tree and open your arms and let that green blessing come into your body. It's the best auric cleaning you can do, and it's offered all the time. The tree is there all the time, helping us breathe, helping to keep our planet fresh. It's, it's an enormous kindness of simply being what it is. So I call it tree blessing, and I'm... I'm very grateful for my tamarack. It's one of my favorite friends. Oh, that's that's really lovely. Thank you for that. Mm. So during the break, you and I were chatting, and we talked about how I opened this conversation with reflections on winter, and particularly about hibernation. And you mentioned that you wanted to share a poem with our listeners. So why don't we do that now? Okay. Thank you, Laurel. This poem is in a book called Joy is the Thinnest Layer. It was um, published by Homebound Publication, and it won the the Nautilus Gold Prize for the best poem in 2017. And in this book is a poem called Hibernating. And it's about quietness and being with yourself. Hibernating. Like cloth, the quiet falls into place falls white upon white, covering my sleep. The silence is dense, a brocade, rich cashmere, or fine merino, layering up, and I begin to feel the patterns of my breath shuttling back and forth, constant, back and forth, weaving up days and hours, weaving a marriage gown in which I wed myself to my life to have and to hold until spring, until real thaw, until love becomes lived. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. It just really beautiful. captures this essence of winter that we that we started with. Yes, it does. Yeah. 
So we've got about three minutes left or so, and I wanted you to have a chance to leave some words of inspiration or encouragement with our listeners. So have, okay. do you have... So ahead. here's what I would say. Try to meditate however you can. Not the way you can't, but however you can. Rest more often so your souls can catch up with your bodies. Be for something and work on that. Because being for something allows the universe to be for you. And then be grateful. That's about the best advice I can give. Really wonderful. Really, really, really simple and important. Every one of those. So actually, say them again. Say those four again. Sure. So meditate the way you can however you can. Rest more so that your soul can catch up with your body before something and work on that because being for something allows the universe to be for you. And that's be grateful. And baby gaze a lot. (laughs) Baby gaze a lot, yes. Wonderful advice for this winter season, for any season. I think that's wonderful. And we still have about two minutes or maybe a minute and a half. And let me just uh, allow you to give us a preview, a sneak preview of your upcoming book, which you said is going to be published, did you say in March? No, in April. Uh It's called Touched by Blessing, and it's a memoir. It's a little memoir. Uh, my editor at Crown always said, you, you're incapable of writing a, a big book, Anila, so all my books are getting smaller and smaller, so it's a little <laughs> memoir, but it's about blessing and experiences. I often don't write about myself so much, so this is, was an experiment, and um, I'm hoping that it'll be of use to people. It has a lovely cover, four feathers, and it's the story, in one of the stories, it's how I became a Native American before I became an American citizen. I'm very proud of that. Oh, that's lovely. That's really lovely. Um, I would did also want to mention another book, that the one that we talked about in our last conversation, Match, which I think is also a really, really lovely book and a lovely practice. Um, can you just say about a minute, worth of that about that just another of your books well you know in all my books i've tried it's i call it almost kitchen spirituality you know it's always about something that you do anyway first book was being home is all about the chores you have in the house so i've been walking around the simplicity of the everyday and with this book i took up the meditation of a matchbox and came up with a practice that people can do. By You don't have to read the whole book to get it, but that you strike a match every day with an intention, and you let that intention burn into you somehow. The flame, the smell, the act, and it helps you keep a focus over 90 days, period. And the book has 90 little meditations in it, and tells you how to do the practice. I've been doing it for 29 years straight, and it has served me very, very well. So 
Mm-hmm. I hope people will look into it. It's, you can find that on Amazon. It's just a surprise to me that all the books are still in print, but and there it is. So, <laughs> and, and that one is easy to remember because it's called Match. Uh, and I yes, was just thinking right. <laughs> as you were describing it, how wonderful it is because it's a very short practice for all those busy moms out there. If you yep. want to do one thing and you don't think you have five minutes to do meditation, get that book and, and light a match you know, every day. Yeah, right. And with that, and with well, that, we've come... preparation and intention in addition to that. But Exactly. Know. With that, we've come to the end. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing Inviting the Silence, a Doorway to the Power of Kindness with Ganilla Norris, the author of the two books we've been discussing today. You can find out more about Ganilla Norris and her books at her website, ganillanorris.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ganilla. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. I love being with you, Laurel. Thank you. Join us for our next program on January 30th when my guest will be clinical psychologist and meditation teacher, Dr. Radley Weininger, author of the book Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion, Nine Simple Practices for a Joyful, Wholehearted Life. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, share it with a friend. Thanks to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer, Anne Hayes, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 